got even more selfish because of the internet. <laughs> I can use the internet as my excuse for everything now, but it's true. Everyone's well, you can't use the EU anymore as your excuse. No, which is a good thing. That's that's a really, yeah, in a way, that's is, a really yeah. good comeback. Like to fucking James O'Brien, he's like, give me one positive about us leaving the EU. <laughs> Go on, just one, just one. I've got facts. And then like someone says, oh. You know, well, we we can hold our politicians' feet to the fire more. They can't use the excuse that this is some Eurocrat making me do this. Yeah, it was a convenient excuse yeah. to actually not be a real politician, yeah. to not govern properly. Really, you know, we've we've taken back our power. Now we're going to use it. Did you see the bust up between Nigel Farage and uh, Alistair Campbell? Oh, I savoured it. It was it was one of the best televised arguments I've seen in a long time. Our own policies yes, of our own do. country, as oh, we have and done. by the way, reach out to a bigger world than Europe because that's global what, Britain. That is global what is Britain. so exciting about is Brexit. Global Britain. There are over twenty countries are now is queuing the first up step of a global to Britain to come out of the biggest market in the world. How uh, does that make any sense? Because we're having to pay a net ten million pounds a year, which be part of a market right. that overregulates our industries and makes us less competitive. No, so we're I, taking back control. No, oh, God, we're losing control. Why are you so Britain? miserable? We're getting we're, back our independence. I am really. I am not miserable. I am genuinely worried. We're a great oh, country. He's, he's, he's always he's, he's economic suicide, and that we are going to How is it political suicide and more and more to make your own laws in your own country? Or do you loathe democracy so much? No, 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 no. This point's fundamental. Democracy. What is wrong with running? What is wrong with running your own country? Let me ask you this about democracy. Should we be self-governing? There's a lot of pointing going on. Should we be self-governing? Go. Should be held to account for the pack of lies you told. Are we going to stay in the customs union or not? No. Right. And did Boris Johnson say he would? No. He was right in his face. 350 million pounds for the Are we going to get it or not? Shall I tell you what the biggest lie is? 350 million pounds. Are we going to get it You told us it was a common market, it was about trade, and not to worry our little heads. 50 years of lies. 50 years of lies. And we've now redressed the balance. And we're now getting our independence back, our pride back, our self-respect back. We're going to be a proper nation. We're going to be a laughing Let's celebrate. Now he's just trying to wind him up. Yeah, yeah, it's a waste now. of time when I can spend my <laughs> time trying to stop this madness. You're not going to stop it. It's all over. Well, I it's don't done. agree with you. Listen, did you <laughs> give up in 74? Has Nicholas Sturgeon given up? Did Barcelona give up when they were three? When they did three goals? The European look, and what we've left when is falling to pieces. When people realise their job, the Euros. Don't worry, we're on a lifeboat. We've left the Titanic. We're in a lifeboat. We're in a great spot. Alistair Campbell was like hitting himself in the thigh to make points because he because he couldn't hit nigel he was like hitting himself in the thigh it was incredible to watch oh i realize what uh farage's name is going to be when he goes into the house of lords mm. lord john smith's extra smooth <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the tom dick and hyman show tim joins me this week as we discuss our Pavlovian responses to the Westminster attack. But first, will Tory ineptness ruin our hopes of leaving the EU with a good deal? To get today, the government acts on the democratic will of the British people. And it acts too on the clear and convincing position of this House. A few minutes ago in Brussels, the United Kingdom's permanent representative to the EU handed a letter to the President of the European Council on my behalf, confirming the Government's decision to invoke Article 50 of the Treaty on European Union. The Article 50 process is now underway, 
and in accordance with the wishes of the British people, the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union. So she got off to a good start there by uh, stumbling her first word. (laughs) Today, (laughs) is that an omen? The fact that she slipped at the first head or the... I, I think she was fully aware of the magnitude of the actions that she took that day. Oh yeah, with the uh, the triggering, the triggering of Article Fifty. Yeah. So yeah, despite one last major protest last weekend from Remainers, Romaniacs, Ramonas. Like, we should probably stop with the name calling at this stage. You yeah. Know, now that Article Fifty has actually been triggered. Yeah. The the people who didn't win. The losers. Is that what you want to call them? <sighs> no. They're not losers. Don't we'll call, call losers. Let's call Alistair Campbell a loser. We can do that. He's always a bit of a... Well, he's a knob more than a loser. I think he lost it a long time ago with Iraq. And his, uh, his, his, his PR skills were amazing. They were so good, they got like over two million people killed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, on Wednesday, March 29th, 2017, Theresa May signed a six-page, thousand-word document. The world's longest goodbye. I don't love you anymore in history. This was uh, Donald Tusk's response to that. Tusk. Tusk. Is that how you pronounce it? Well, well, that's how they say it in the Fleetwood Mac song. Don't say that you love. Yeah. (laughs) You should play that every time Donald Tusk comes on. What we should stress today is that, as for now, nothing has changed. Until the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, EU law will continue to apply to and within the UK. What can I uh, add to this? Uh, we we already miss you. Thank you and goodbye. That was kind of that was a little bit heartbreaking, wasn't it? Well, it was heartfelt because there is there's a special connection between Poland. Tusk is the uh, Polish PM or Prime President or whatever, mm. and, um, and 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 the UK. There's always that special bond with a lot of different European countries. Um, but I think it, I think he'll miss the money most. <laughs> more than anything. Well, he's getting a pension no matter what, so he's fine. Yeah, but I don't know. You've 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 got you've got kids in other countries in Europe getting child support who've never actually lived in this country, getting child support money being paid out to them. What's that got to do with what we just? <laughs> That's, he'll miss it. There's, there's there's a lot of financial things set up on this. Uh, don't fall into the emotional trap. You know what I mean? Well, it is kind of like a breakup, isn't it? Though, like a divorce is the uh, the word I saw a lot in the press the last week. What what, what matters most is that is is the hard reality if if they can deliver on these things and uh, the fact that they won't be able to blame European Eurocrats for their own decisions anymore and our laws will be able to hold our politicians feet to the fire a lot more mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a massive thing and like you said Theresa May sort of stumbled at the start there because I think she realised that you know if they, we are, they're actually going through with this now yeah it's nerve wracking for sure it's for, for everyone her legacy is basically no one knows what's going to happen it's only been three days at the time of recording since article 50 was triggered I'm going to do that every time I say that. And um, I'm triggered. We're already on a war footing with Spain. Over <laughs> <laughs> Gibraltar. I say 2.0. Here we first... go. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, you're right. Three days ago, Article 50, the letter was delivered to the EU. And as I said, it was uh, six pages, 1,000 words. Did it really need to be that long? No. It could have just been two, could have been like one line. We hereby trigger Article 50. Get over it. <laughs> like, you know I mean? like, that's all it needed to be. And the fact that she made it, Theresa May, she made it such a long-winded... It was like a conciliatory, I'm sorry, we're leaving. It's not you, it's us, that kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. 
Yeah. It wasn't me. Didn't need to... There, no need for any of that. No, but Two lines would have done it. It's a historical document. You know, school children might be looking at it in textbooks 20 years from now when they see, like, the start of World War Three. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, there was the, 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 the picture that was sort of published was her, of her signing it was... was 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 very deliberately under a portrait of Robert Walpole, who oh. was, was the first prime minister for like oh, o- yeah. over twenty years, and um, he he famously kept um, Britain out of Europe during a very bloody period of Europe's history. And I, I'm not going to quote his speech because I don't know it, but he basically said like you know fifty thousand people were like wringing their hands instead of dying, involved, de- yeah. dying on a battlefield, and you should be grateful for that. And um, that that was a very deliberate thing they did um so the, the magnitude of it isn't isn't to be underestimated i think now that basically like us sending this letter it is cutting deep to the eu do you know what i mean like it's an emotional thing yeah for the eu yeah. the remaining 27 members and i think we need to make a uh, a gesture of goodwill because this why she shouldn't have written that thousand word document yeah it should have been two lines and then there should have been a cover letter yeah that wouldn't have got so much media attention that just it would have been something along the lines of just you know like we obviously want to maintain a close relationship with europe blah 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 and then like a gesture of goodwill obviously once the uh successful negotiations are over in 2019 blah 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 we cordially invite all 27 eu commissioners to have a state dinner with the queen Mm. in one of our palaces and to be honest with you i think cordiality is is probably how it's going to turn out and like like i said it is a big thing of magnitude in in terms of actual fundamental financial and doctoral and like law changes and stuff that are going to have to be done it's massive jobs oh yeah massive jobs this is why yeah. every civil servant in the country voted remain they knew, they <laughs> just knew. like headbutting their desks <laughs> which are already padded by piles of paperwork and um yeah, but lawyers should be happy, shouldn't they? Rewriting every single fucking law. Even though just, and just like be... cut, copy and paste, copy and paste, macro, you know. Lawyers uh, are going to be billionaires. Two words, but... but it'll cost like 50 grand per page. They're going to be billionaires by the end of it. The problem is pounds not going to be worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got a billion pounds, but like a loaf of bread's two mil. No, in the end of the day, like if, if the EU wants to maintain its image... <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's got a pretty bad image at the moment yeah um basically if 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 um, france screw up the eu if they like have their moment of madness and elect le pen. le pen like we've had our sort of moment of madness already and um if they have the similar thing the, the eu's finished because it won't have the military muscle anymore yeah there is some some of that but it'll pass i think in general things will settle down fairly soon deals will be done in back rooms the main thing is politicians want to save face stay popular now like i say theresa may she wrote thousand word document and of course the more words you put into a document more likely it is the media will find something that sticks out as like a point of controversy and um the big story from the week theresa may threatening european security in order to secure a free trade deal with the eu falklands 2.0 here we go (laughs) seriously um, it's, 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 it's a bit of saber rattling. It's, it's more about intelligence sharing as well and, and policing. Yeah, supposedly uh, she made a threat to the EU, saying, "Oh, look, if you don't agree a free trade deal over the next two years with the uh, the UK, we're basically going to stop sharing intelligence." And this is the line from the Article Fifty letter. People are getting caught up on quote in security terms, a failure to reach agreement would mean our cooperation in the fight against crime and terrorism would be weakened. Now, to me, that doesn't really sound like much of a threat. It's that, like that's 
that's the reality of Britain crashing out of the EU without a free trade deal. Yeah, because basically, we, if, 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 if our country was broke, we couldn't afford to send in the SAS. You know, <laughs> they'd be like going in there on horses instead of helicopters. You know, there are practical realities, aren't there? You can't fuck someone over completely. Basically, Britain has to be careful not to be too bullish because it, it already has a very bad reputation abroad, doesn't it? Just look at the Eurovision Song Contest. No one likes us. We, I've, yeah, I've been in about... so many different European countries and, and heard like a muttering fucking English. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> and it wasn't me. Oh, for tourism, yeah, we are. Yeah. English are despised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. But Britain, no, I would say not really. Because like, um, a couple of years ago, we were bigging ourselves up on in terms of our uh, soft power. And the fact that people view us as like a fair country, a country that respects laws and protocols and rules and things like that. What we have lost is the uh, the idea of the British gentleman. That used to be really popular across Europe. I don't Europe. think so. That still exists in certain really. corners of Mayfair. Just literally <laughs> within like a couple of streets here and there. Shoeshine boy on a corner. Seriously, there's probably like one left. But Theresa May and the threat, the Remain side... They're going a little bit nuts with this. They've kind of grasped onto this. Mm. Oh, she's threatening the EU, blah, blah, blah. And of course, no, she's pointing out the reality of not having a deal with the EU. And you think when, when she actually wrote those words down, that was probably within two days either side of a, that maniac on the bridge who did the terrorist attack in Westminster. Okay, yeah. Hyundai. So terrorism, she has to make a fucking statement about terrorism. It's a, it's a fact in European politics now and reality so the remain side there's a bit of an irony in them getting upset at this this was their argument last year that if we leave the eu security and things like that would be weakened it's a bit odd that they're complaining she's saying exactly what they were saying last I, year i think leaving the eu makes our security less weak i'm not interpreting this as a threat no it's basically um it really what it really is is our weakness is a sign of our weakness in this negotiation the eu is not obligated really to negotiate a free trade deal with us. All they care about right now at the moment is the just settle your exit bill and then maybe we'll talk about free trade deal after that. It's not just about exit bills either. They probably want ongoing money. You know, a lot of a lot of people wanted to leave and myself included just wanted us to leave and be done within a week. Fine. Bosh out. But yeah, you were complaining it wasn't going quick enough. Yeah, but now I actually think it's a good thing because if it goes on for a while, our, for our own politicians holding their feet to the fire, we can say, well, if you don't get us a good deal, we'll vote in some motherfucker. And I don't mind extending it <laughs> so one are, more year. You are prepared to actually hold the Tories to account then? We don't? might get a really good deal because we demand one. <laughs> this is what I mean. This is this th- supposed threat that yeah. isn't really a threat. It's really. It's about economics. Re- it's, revealed, it? it's revealed our, the weakness in our position. We cannot afford to leave the EU without a free trade agreement, without agreeing regulations and licenses and the sharing of intelligence and things. Mercedes can't afford a 10% tariff on all their new cars. Might be 30, 40%, you don't know. Nobody wants trade blockages. No. But it's like there's so many, like what you said earlier, the mammoth task of trying to figure out all the regulations and all the licenses. Yeah, and the interesting- It may end up with a bottleneck where you do end up where lorries are stuck for like a day to check customs and things (laughs) thus far the only explicit threat theresa may has made is the idea of well look we're not going to accept a bad deal we prefer a no deal scenario to a bad deal scenario and we'll just turn into a low tax haven but she's saying this because the rumors that were coming out from europe the only thing they're afraid of is britain becoming like a singapore 
just off the coast of continent, continental Europe. Thing is, we are low tax already compared to the rest of the EU. So it's like, I don't know if they've maybe sold us a dummy on that one. The EU have leaked some false information out. London is the money laundering capital of the world. You know, um, it's the finan- that's why it's the financial centre of the world. So they're not going to want to crucify it. So our press have, in my view, in my opinion, have misinterpreted what Theresa May was saying there. The EU are vexed at this. They can't understand why the hell would she threaten us with this at this time? You know what I mean? When we've got Islamic terrorism threats, we've got Russian threats. Yeah. Why would she be talking like this? They're vexed at us right now. It's not a good start to the, uh, it's not a good start to the Brexit negotiations, is it? But it's a good thing. Maybe it was just get it out the way, you know, get out of the way, get it in the open, just say it. Like ripping a plaster off. Yeah. Just say it. So it's out there. And that's before we've even got into the, you know, negotiation room. So it's always there in the background. It's not something that we're going to have to bring up in any of the negotiations face to face. Well, like Poland, like needs the UK troops. It wants the UK troops over there, you know, just to keep Russia away. Um, that costs money. So our stances, the Tory Brexit team stances, we want to do parallel negotiations. So at the same time where we're negotiating the exit bill, we want to be negotiating a free trade deal at the same time simultaneously. The, oh God, the odds of us being able to do that within two years are like slim to nil. I just want to know what the one massive spanner in the work of that could be. The whole free trade when it's tied into free movement. I think that is going to be the one crux of the whole shebang when it comes to these negotiations i think once they can agree on that everything else will follow yeah the first thing like i said the eu the first thing they're going to say to us is pay the bill we're going to hit you i think it's 60 billion euros about 50 billion pounds maybe like 55 billion by the time they actually but they're not going to talk about anything before we settle the bill and we don't really like it's a bad idea for david davis to go in there and start talking about well maybe we won't share information with europol you know i mean it's not a good idea the bill the bill is negotiable because the eu is running at a deficit isn't it to the uk but what do you think though tim about david davis's chance of actually being able to do parallel negotiations to do two negotiations at the same time I've absolute faith in David Davis simply because of the alliteration of his name. He's got a good reputation, David yeah. Davis, that yeah. he's built up over many years. Can you imagine if if Labour were in power now, and it'd be like Dan, Dan Abbott going out there? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's nothing that the British public trusts Labour with more than they trust the Tories, and they don't really trust the Tories much. But yeah, David Davis, I think he's a little bit out of his depth on this one. I think he's underestimated the scale of the task that he's undertaken. And there was a Brexit committee hearing where uh, the chairman, Labour's Hillary Benn, he was giving David Davis a bit of a grilling. And to be honest, it was kind of, it made me a little bit nervous, like the responses David Davis was giving. No deal would mean that British businesses would face tariffs and other non-tariff barriers in their trade with the 27 member states of the EU. A simple yes or no will suffice. Well, now, I'm afraid the simple yes and no doesn't actually do it, Mr. Chairman. The the presumption of no deal is literally that. So sorry, that, could you just say that again? Sorry, I'm okay, can you yeah. hear me? All right, that's fine. Yeah, the presumption of no deal Mike is check, literally that. It would be a presumption, and it is a presumption at this point, uh, of most favoured nation status under the World Trade Organization arrangements, which means there will be tariffs. It doesn't say very much about non-tariff barriers, but the, the presumption you're making is probably right. Can you confirm that it? would mean that there would have to be customs checks between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland? 
there are in those circumstances? There are already customs checks between Northern Ireland and the, uh, the Republic of Ireland because there are excise differences. So are, are you saying, Secretary State, that there would be no checks? No, 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 I'm saying that there, there, would, there, be there would be customs checks, but that does not mean that they're uh, heavy hour. Again, I wouldn't want anybody to misunderstand what I say. That does not mean we demur from our position of wanting to have a very light border, no hard border. Can you confirm it would mean that the United Kingdom would no longer be part of the US-EU Open Skies Agreement? Not that agreement. It would, uh, one would presume that that would be um, uh, not applied to us. doesn't say anything about whether it would be a successor. Hmm. Can you confirm it would mean the loss of passporting rights for the British financial services sector? Again, as they currently exist, that would be the case. I would expect that to be the case, but that's where that's one of the areas where I was... And I said to you, I'm not sure what the outcome on non-tariff barriers would be. That's an area of uncertainty. Can you confirm that UK citizens would no longer have access to the EHIC health treatment card? No, I think that's probably right. I haven't looked at that one. OK, thank you very much. Yeah, not particularly inspiring. Doesn't... It's not, but... It, it was completely um, going in one direction, wasn't it? He was basically just answering questions. If this equals this, it's like he's just talking worst case scenario of everything. But that's the whole point. What Hillary Benn's questioning him under there is the context of we didn't get a free trade deal during the negotiation talks and we've crashed out and now we're going to the WTO. It was completely one-sided, yeah? He, well, David H- Davis Hillary can Benn, answer. Hillary Benn, did, did, did Hillary Benn represent the EU? Well, he's representing the opposition to, to the it. government. He's just yeah. he's just representing the opposition to fucking everything. Okay, <laughs> the the EU isn't going to fucking turn into the empire from Star Wars and just completely isolate us, fuck us over, be cruel, and destroy us. They're not. You don't know that. Uh, but it goes against when David Davis goes, doesn't know it that. Goes against the entire tenant of the the founding of the EU. Now, like going back to why the, there's this like emotional reaction and Donald Tusk, and it was all very sad and stuff. Yeah, they're pissed yeah. off at us. No, it's emotional. It's much deeper than that. Well, it's okay? worse than the EU represents a lot more to some people than yeah, the, the UK. The European project. Because, can I tell you why? Because because like for, for for the Eastern European countries, being a member of the EU is a release from the the tyranny of of like the darkest days of communism yeah it means that they'll never have that ever again and that they love the eu because of that you know the uk has never had that or it's not had that for a thousand years because it's it haven't been invaded it's, in Ireland, it's not it's not been invaded and it's not had communism and uh we we've purely seen the eu as a transactional thing purely transactional it's a deal and common market is and what we, we felt wanted. yeah we weren't we felt like we weren't getting a good deal anymore so we left but for the rest of them, they never, they can never leave that because for them it represents their future and their evolution. <laughs> David Davis, not particularly inspiring performance there. You have to admit, he's basically what Hillary Benn was doing was trying to get out of David Davis. Just how prepared for falling out of the EU are we? And the answer is not really prepared at all. That's what I got from that. Like there were no real clear answers there. It was vague. Yeah. It was like, oh, yeah. hopefully, I imagine, I would presume. But, but what's he meant to do? Is is he meant he, he can't um he can't say yes, it's going to be absolutely terrible. We're all fucked. And conversely, he can't stand up and say, oh, forget all that. It's going to be brilliant. You know, we're going to get the like five percent deal for the farming instead of thirty. He just said like the probables, the maybes. I think that's the only thing I can say in David Davis's defence is he doesn't want to reveal everything. Because, like you say, negotiations 
have well they're about to start they're not going to start until the later this year to be honest you've got the french elections coming up and then in the uh, late summer you've got the german elections coming up it wasn't inspiring and but he, you forget he's a tory like tory <laughs> he's lying he's lying <laughs> that's a, yeah can we trust the tories to get this Do you know right what I mean? he's he does quite his own little plans he doesn't give a, a shit about that what, what that committee is because he knows it's the negotiations that count. The Tories' record as of late in government is pretty piss poor. They've had a lot of U-turns, uh, a lot of blockages mm. by the Lords. They're not really very good in government. And so I'm concerned they're not going to be really very good What's in negotiations. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? Nigel Farage? No. Like him as much as I do, we'd be at war within a day. <laughs> He'd be insulting every... Yeah. Like, dignitary. Yeah. I mean, when the Tory party isn't being downright nasty... It's pretty much incompetent, inept, clumsy. Conservative. The clue is in the name. And, and like I said, maybe we don't have an effective opposition now because everyone's got a bit more sort of selfish and conservative. You mentioned their lack of opposition to the government. Yeah. Uh, the New Statesman, a left-leaning political magazine in the UK, their front cover this week was quite striking. Came in the form of a wanted poster. Wanted an opposition. Who will speak for British liberalism? Probably not the new statesman. But yeah, they, you know, an, an effective democracy needs an effective opposition. It needs someone who's a viable alternative. As much as Jeremy Corbyn's a bad party leader, Labour Party in the last couple of weeks have actually started firing up a little bit. Keir Starmer, oppositional counterpart to David Davis, he issued his Brexit test, the six points. And basically five of the six are actually kind of easily dodgeable. You could get around them with a bit of spin. But point number two... And uh, this was something Tony Blair, of all people, brought up a couple of weeks ago on the Andrew Marr show. Oh, do I have to listen to Tony Blair? The issue really on, on Brexit is this, because the government has set a very, very clear test, by the way. You know, a few weeks ago in the House of Commons, David Davis said that they were going to deliver a deal with, and I quote, exactly the same benefits as we now have from the single market and customs union. We should hold them to that. But if, as you go down this path, the British people realise three things, then I think it could change. One, that the gain is actually illusory. Two, that the pain is very substantial. And three, that the distraction of the government and the country in the meantime is enormous when there are these big, real challenges on the economy, in healthcare, education. Tony Blair pointed out that David Davis in the House of Commons, in response to uh, Anna Soubry, she uh, asked david davis the question if we crash out of the eu without a trade agreement are we going to be worse or better off you know can you at least promise that we're not going to lose out on certain things and david davis responded to her by saying you're going to have the exact same benefits as before the uh, the point i'd make to her now is that she says well there was those these things weren't on the ballot paper what was on the ballot paper was leaving the european union i'm afraid it's very difficult to see how you can leave the european union and still stay inside the single market with all the commitments that go with that what we have come up with and i hope i hope to persuade her i hope to persuade her that this is a very worthwhile aim what we've come up with is the idea of a comprehensive free trade agreement and a comprehensive customs agreement which will deliver the exact same benefits as we have there but also enable my rightable friend to be able to go and form those trade deals with the rest of the world too which is a real upside of leaving the european union so he did say that he kind of promised anna Subri at the very least that she'd have the exact same benefits that she would have had before which is probably true she's you know, 
Getting 27 countries to decide on any single point of these negotiations is going to be a nightmare unless you make your big threat at the very start, like Theresa May did. Well, I don't think she was making a threat. Well, however it's perceived, yeah? It's, it's the thing. It's the thing, and it's there at the start. That's what you do, so it's known, and then it's up to everyone else to fucking sort it out between yourselves. Democracy. All right, but to bring this back, Tony Blair there. So I think Keir Starmer and his point number two in his six his list of six Brexit tests that have the British public maintain the exact same benefits as what they had before. I think he got that from Tony Blair. I think he watched Tony Blair and Andrew Marr. Yeah. And so where the new statesmen are asking, where is the opposition to the Tories? Well, Tony Blair. They've got Tony Blair. Is that not good enough? I think David Davis and his Brexit team, I think they should be a little bit more honest and a little bit more realistic about look, this can go wrong. They've got this kind of debonair, blasé attitude about it all, mm. which I'm, I know they have to try and give off that perception. But I don't think it would be uh, too much to ask if David Davis just said, hey, listen, you're not going to have the exact same benefits as what you had before. They're not going to give us single market access for less than what we were paying when we were in the EU. I think maybe, maybe we'll get it for a little bit less. Still going to be paying in, though. what I thought was a um, just a collision. And then I looked uh, through the window of the taxi and I saw someone down, uh, uh, obviously in great distress. And then I saw a second person down uh, and I started filming. And then I saw three more people down, uh, one of them bleeding uh, profusely. Um, so uh, what I saw was an incident involving at least five people seriously injured. The voice there of uh, Radoslow? Sikorsky or Radoslav? Am I reading that right? Oh yeah, Radoslav, that guy, yeah, I know him. Yeah, Yeah, the Polish Foreign Affairs Minister who was uh, crossing Westminster Bridge like immediately right after an IS, an Islamist scumbag, had mounted the pavement twice in a 4x4 Hyundai, also killed a fourth by stabbing PC Keith Palmer in the chest with a, yeah, two kitchen knives. He stabbed him in the armpit. Before he was shot and killed. By uh, one of Michael Fallon, Michael Fallon, uh, defense secretary, who's shot the attacker, was shot and killed by one of his personal bodyguards, like a plain closed armed officer, which makes you wonder a little bit like what if he wasn't there that day in Parliament? A few more people would have got stabbed and then he would get shot by another presumably armed guy. Yeah. Presumably, yeah, he would well, have been able to kill more. Hopefully overpowered. But then the thing is, they don't teach the police like fucking knife defense anymore. Well, that's not... They don't even teach them truncheon, proper truncheon work. All they have is tasers and stuff. What can you really do to defend yourself against a knife? Like, trying to grab the I'll wrist is suicide. I'll show you. But, um, okay. but bear in mind, he's getting the jump on you. Yeah. He's got the element of surprise on you. If you're not aware. Well, they, like, some random car just crashed into a railing. Some yeah, dude that, just I'd, jumped out. I'd be pretty fucking aware by then. Jeez, <laughs> you'd be, like, kung fu mode. Yeah. Anyway. So the Polish foreign minister, he was driving along Westminster Bridge in his cab just after... The uh, IS Islamist scumbag who won't be named. Fuck him and his five different names that he chose for himself. Like, he knew what he was going to do a while ago, right? And he was trying to find the right name for, like, when people remember who I am, what name are they going to remember? They're not going to remember any of your fucking names. So the Polish foreign minister, he shot a video from his mobile phone, his smartphone, and immediately uploaded it to Twitter. And, of course, it spread pretty rapidly. I'm pretty sure I watched that video maybe five minutes after the incident actually happened. And I was sat in an office in Soho, and this is how I became aware of the Westminster attack, was this guy's video. 
Gosh. And then, like, a couple of minutes after that, it was coming out on Twitter that a police officer had been stabbed in Parliament Square. And you kind of, like, you're piecing it together what happened. The guy obviously drove up in his car mm. down Westminster Bridge. For anyone that doesn't know, Westminster Bridge is the road that leads yeah. to Westminster Palace, where the Houses of Parliament are. Mm. The, the actual entrance is very soft. The policemen who are there, their main job, like PC Palmer, is to basically stop the pedestrians to let the MPs' cars go in and out yeah. of the gates. It's very soft. They're like, you know, not not quite pose. Po- they pose for pictures with tourists. You know, soft yeah. policing. They're not Robocop. Yeah. Plus, this gate is where members of the public go through, journalists exactly. go through. School children to go to the, yeah. visit the place. Three minutes after all the shit went down and the guy was stabbed and died on the floor, a motorbike courier drove in completely unstopped and just drove in and did his delivery whilst it was <laughs> just three minutes after it happened well look man it was chaos wasn't it like three minutes fucking head should roll so another isis inspired esque attack which means it's time for the same pavlovian response after every isis inspired attack we'll go through the list so first point of action is uh, for calls for prayers for the victims online on social media including quote Atheist prayers for the non-religious. Can we, uh, atheists, fellow atheists, let's not do the atheist prayer thing. Just say, like, your heart goes out to, you're in my thoughts. Don't say atheist prayers, a fucking dumb expression. You're going to say something? I was just wondering, what's what's point number two? Ah, so point number two. The insistence that we don't yet know that it was a Muslim, even though we're fairly sure it was a Muslim, and then when it turns out that it is a Muslim, insist that it has absolutely nothing to do with Islam, and no real Muslim could possibly be a terrorist anyway. Yeah, this guy wasn't a real Muslim. He wasn't born Muslim. He's a convert in... Well, I thought that turned out not to be true, the convert in prison thing. He was a Muslim. He identified as... (laughs) Yeah, he'd call call himself a Muslim. What's point number three or four? (laughs) Uh, so, and then you get more morally outraged. This is a classic response to uh, any sort of Islamic attack. Getting more morally outraged and showing more scorn towards someone who said something politically incorrect rather than the IS thug who took multiple people's lives. Uh, you might remember a year ago, it was a woman called Alison Pearson. Right. Telegraph writer. Huh. And then uh, in this instance, it was Tommy Robinson who was at the scene, I think maybe like 20 minutes after it happened. Mm-hmm. He was in the area, obviously. And he was going on about, oh, you're going to, it's going to turn out that this guy was known to the authorities. It's going to turn out that he was radicalized in prison. And like, because this is the same story. It's always the same story. And so people got more pissed off at Tommy Robinson yeah. than they did the actual attacker. At least that's like yeah. kind of how it looked. Yeah. It's like, can you remember his name? The attacker? Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to say his name. Oh, okay. I was just like, I thought his name was blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, you just forget after a few, na- few days. It's just, <sighs> his name isn't important. It's like you mean, it's always, it's always more about the issue. and But but the issue is just that what, what you're saying about the Pavlovian response. I hate it. Because to me, it's like it's almost, you're trying to like normalise terrorism. As fucking Sadiq Khan said, and admittedly Sadiq mm. Khan said this, um, before he'd experienced a terrorist attack during his mayoralship, he said t- he said it like terrorist attacks are part and parcel of living in a big city. And I'll come back to that. Uh, well, this is because Donald Trump Jr. He weighed in on this one and he tried to uh, hold Sadiq Khan's feet to the fire on this. But that was that quote was taken out of context. Basically, what Sadiq Khan is saying is, no matter what security measures you take, you can't stop if someone's determined enough. And they have access to a car, 
You can't stop them from mounting a pavement and running over a bunch of people. He wasn't trying to say, like, let's not bother trying to stop terrorism. You can't really stop someone from doing that, can you? So you agree with Sadiq Khan, then? I know, and it really pisses me off. What disturbs me more than the quote of, like, oh, it's part and parcel of being a metropolitan city thing, terrorism. So in 2009, he was basically defending Islamic terrorists as his role as, I think he was like a human rights lawyer. So, you know, as a human rights lawyer, you've got to defend people who are a bit unsavory every now and then. But he was on Iranian TV and he referred to like ex people who are ex-Muslims and groups like the Quillian Foundation who are basically trying to de-radicalize Islamic terrorists. He referred to them as uh, Uncle Toms. And it's like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like he apologized for it. Yeah. He acknowledged he said it. He apologized for it. It was the right thing to do. But uh, why did he use that term? It doesn't make sense. Iranians could only ever interpret that as infidels. Yeah. Uncle Tom's are infidels, right? Yeah. Punishable by death to be an apostate of Islam. But listen, I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of going, well, Sadiq Khan's a Muslim. He's probably too sympathetic to jihadis. Do you know what I mean? It's like, let's not go there. Back to Pavlovian responses. Now, whenever an attack like this happened, Nigel Farage, someone will shove a microphone in Nigel Farage's face, at which point he will say, this is all the fault of the EU. It's all because of the Schengen Agreement and freedom of movement that this has happened. And then you've got uh, Angela Merkel will insist that she's right to call for the banning of the burqa and the French are right to call for the banning of burkinis, even though neither of these things are going to stop Islamic terrorism. Mm. And uh, then the EU itself will insist that they are the only entity that could possibly hope to prevent further terrorist attacks. No real evidence for that claim, but Facebook users will change their profile picture. Now, did you, uh, normally it's, Facebook will give you the option to put like a, a national flag watermark over your cover photo. Now, did you notice with this one that um, it was just a little Union Jack in the corner? And as well as noticing it, there were far fewer than I'd ever seen before, judged on recent terrorist attacks. Now, my, my own profile picture, I, I change fairly infrequently every few months, more just to try and look good or whatever. It's pointless, isn't it? Do you think it's... Fucking, um... You can't imagine whoever, been whoever, is like quaking, you know, oh God, you know. They changed their profile pic. Yeah. yeah. It's a sh- gesture, it's a small, pretty much vapid gesture. But do you know something? Do you know why it pisses me off? Because it's the right thing to fucking do. It fucking pisses me off. Because like I say, there's nothing you can do to stop some absolute cunt just doing something crazy. Like I could now just go out and kill those people and then just say Allah at the end. You yeah. know, it's bollocks, yeah? There's nothing you can do to stop someone from doing that. And But it's better to do that. It's better to change your profile picture than to sort of turn into a regressive aggressive monster and maybe this response is just a safety net that that stops us from descending into like into seeming violence and it's a good thing and i hate it (laughs) (laughs) once everyone's changed their facebook profile picture what normally comes next usually like a day or two afterwards will be the feel-good story including where prominently featured will be a group of muslims and they'll be showing their solidarity with the victims and that they oppose islamic terrorism and what have you but it's always amadis the muslim sect who are quite lovely just like sufis are really lovely people but 
they're massively persecuted. They're a tiny minority. Like there's all these different Islamic sects, different branches and schools of thought and what have you. And the Ahmadis are a minority group. In this case, in Britain, a minority within a minority. They're massively persecuted by most other Muslims. They're viewed as heretics and infidels and basically worthy of death. Mm-hmm. And that bit, that point is never mentioned. When uh, Did you see the photo of the Ahmadi Muslims, women holding hands across Westminster Bridge? Yeah. Nobody pointed out that that's... They're Ahmadi Muslims. Yeah, they're against any real kind of violence and you know what I mean? But they're massively persecuted in the I Islamic like, community, in I the like, Islamic world. I like the y- Yadizi Muslims. Yadizi. Oh, yeah. Is that George Clooney's wife? I have no. No, she's like a Yadizi. They like the Syrian ones. Yeah, I like, I like those ones. It's gorgeous. The next step in the Pavlovian response, you get inundated with empty platitudes from MPs and elected officials about how we will still win... And that we have successfully defended our democracy. And it's like, just what exactly are we winning? That's never really quite defined. And nobody ever really points out that, look, ISIS and these lone wolf ISIS-inspired attacks, they don't pose an existential threat to us or our democracy. It's all about subtext. That's what we were, we were talking about today, man. It's like this, this subtext. It's like Theresa May said that stuff at the start of her argument. Because it's basically the bottom line, yeah, security. And yeah. It's, 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 it's the same with this, this subtext of like, we're celebrating the fact we're being pussies about it because <laughs> the, the alternative is so fucking terrible. What is the alternative? Complete intolerance and irreligious, you know, society. You know, religion has done a lot of good things for the world as well as bad things. Secular sectarian violence. But it's pretty easy for our MPs to beat their chest and stand there all defiant. They've got a lot of protection. Whilst MPs were going out there and speaking to the press about how defiant they are and how resilient they are, mm. I watched a lorry with cement slabs making its way to <laughs> Westminster. Yeah. So it's like, we're the soft targets, the member of the pub- members of the public, we're soft targets. MPs and what have you have protections. Mm. It's pretty easy for them to be brave when really we're the ones at most risk. Now, normally in the Pavlovian response to an Islamic terrorist attack, law enforcement officials and the media... They'll be fairly apprehensive about releasing details in the immediate aftermath. And then there'll be, I was about to say there'll be an explosion, (laughs) but that's not quite appropriate. But then you'll be, uh, there'll be a deluge of information that comes out all at one kind of point. And the usual narrative of the attacker really being a victim. Like when we start figuring out, when the details about the attacker comes out, the usual narrative in the media is that actually they're really a victim of European racism and inequality and what have you. Mm-mm. Okay. A lone wolf. How many lone wolves does it take to make a pack? You know what I mean? I'm a spiritual person. Like I might, some people call me religious, but I say like I'm more spiritual. Yeah, you're not religious. <laughs> I'm a spiritual person. Yeah. Okay. But like, where do you draw the line with mental illness? <laughs> we can say this this terrorist attacker w- was a nutcase because he uh, you know drove a car down a bridge, killed people, and stabbed a policeman. Uh, but you could also say I'm a nutcase because I believe that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. So it's like, where do you draw the line? You can't draw the line. It's too easy to start pathologizing people in that way. Yeah, but um, are you recognizing the pattern that I'm talking about here? These Pavlovian responses. Yeah, but like I say, I think. I recognise it and I'm completely defeated, Tom. Completely defeated. Resigned to it. Because I realise in the end of the day, it's, it, it just has to, it, it's the only way to be. It, it's just keeping the peace, basically. There's always going to be evil in the world, um, but there's always going to be 10 times more good people. Once the shock 
and the emotion of the attack has waned. MPs use the attack to push whatever agenda they already had decided upon anyway. So in this instance, Amber Rudd has come out against uh, data encryption, things like WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Now, this is basically, this would be a policy position of hers that she would have held prior mm-hmm. to the terrorist yeah. incident. Let's, well, let's not even call it a terrorist incident. Let's call it what it is. It was a mm-hmm. criminal act. Yeah. But can I tell you about WhatsApp and why she was so stupid? Yeah. WhatsApp can't crack WhatsApp because of the way it's designed. They'd have to redesign it to, because each time a message is sent, it's a, a unique encryption code. Right. That goes between the two devices, which isn't available to a third party. Yeah. And then it's instantly deleted. So they'd have to fundamentally write, rewrite from scratch scratch yeah. a program of what whatsapp actually is it wouldn't be whatsapp anymore so for her to say for them to do that was actually impossible for them to do <laughs> and even if they did do it someone else would do it for free like and the, the last and final step in our pavlovian responses is to basically swiftly forget about what happened and then just wait until the uh, the next inevitable attack now, i think the uh, swiftly forgetting as callous as it may seem that might actually be the right thing to do to not dwell on it to not magnify it you just you just you just hope that it's a very rare thing and that it's not of too great a magnitude like like you said this guy just had a hyundai and a couple of knives and he did a bit of damage but um but no it's going to take one individual to do something of terrible magnitude um like that but i don't think that's ever going to happen with it with his with islamic terrorism they don't have the brains because if you're stupid enough or at least like me waste enough time thinking about these spiritual things you're not going to have time to build nuclear bombs or have the intelligence to so just let it let it go just give it another 200 years Sadiq Khan's right. Oh no. How long have I not been recording? Oh. How, how long have you not been recording after play it? When did I pause? I can't be bothered to go play it back. Chances are, you, you have to, you have to check. How much? Have you definitely not recorded something? I think we might have missed the whole third segment. Oh well. Oh, Do it next fuck, time. Are you serious? Ah, oh, redo the intro. We'll redo the intro. Fuck it. I think we basically missed the whole fucking third segment. Okay. You're gonna try and do it quickly. 